Hi, I just wanted to apologize to my listeners. There is uh, some static in the middle of this uh, podcast. I'm still trying to get the hang of my equipment. And apologize for that, and let's get started. Good afternoon. I'd like to welcome everyone once again to my White Collar Crime and Fraud podcast. As always, I'm your host, Gene Tausk. Today we're going to have our podcast intersect with current events a little bit. I'm going to be talking about corruption in the Russian armed services. And this tangents into a larger podcast I'll be dealing with later on in this year, which is how corruption can really affect an entire nation. Um... Obviously, corruption and how it affects nations is a very large topic, and I was planning to address this later in this year, but given the current uh, news situation, I thought it might be best to start with a little um, little taste, I guess you might say, of how, of how um, corruption can really gnaw away at a nation from within and really affect its abilities to function as a nation state. And in this case, of course, we're going to be talking about the Russian Federation. Um, because of that saying, of course, that approximately two weeks ago, Russia invaded the Ukraine. Um, the Ukraine, of course, has been an independent nation since 1991. Uh, the Ukraine has a long and varied and unfortunately tragic history. It uh, joined with Russia in the 17th century and has more or less been attached to Russia's hips since that time. It was a part of the Russian Empire prior to 1917, and then it became part of the Soviet Union after 1921. And in 1991, when the Soviet Union fell apart, the Ukraine obtained an independent status, and it's been an independent nation since that point in time. Um, the point of this podcast, of course, is not to be a history podcast. I don't want to get into the long and storied history of Russia and the Ukraine, but it a little background, of course, does make sense. Since becoming independent, there's been a lot of situations and issues with Ukraine itself, including corruption. And uh, we'll once again talk about that at a later podcast. Um, but there's always, there's been issues recently with uh, Vladimir Putin proclaiming that... Um, Vladimir Putin, of course, the president of the Russian Federation. Vladimir Putin proclaiming that the Ukraine is not has never been an independent state. It's always been a part of Russia one way or another. And in 2014, um, the forces of the Russian Federation invaded and took possession of the Crimea Peninsula in the Black Sea, which used to be a part of the Ukraine and now is a part of Russia as of 2014. That invasion, by the way, and the seizure of the Ukraine has not been recognized by the United States. 
And since that time as well, Russia started a low-level conflict in the eastern part of the country in the Donbass regions and um, uh, Lugansk regions, regions. And I'm sorry, Lugansk region, regions. And um, there's been a low-intensity conflict in the eastern part of that country since that time. And of course, two weeks ago, Russia launched a full-fledged invasion of the Ukraine with the intent to either seize the Ukraine and make it a part of Russia again or install a puppet government. So for all intents and purposes, it is a part of Russia. So um, that's the brief history lesson. I, of course, encourage my readers to read up more on the topic. It is a very, especially if you're into history, it's a very fascinating piece of history, which has affected Europe for hundreds of years. Well, one of the more, I should say, outstanding is perhaps too strong a word to it, one of the more interesting aspects of Russia's invasion of the Ukraine is just how unsuccessful it's been up to this point in time. Now, keep in mind, I am talking as of January 3rd, I'm sorry, January, March 13th, 2022. Who knows what's going to happen in the next weeks or months in the conflict, but certainly many military observers had expected that um, with the invasion, it would be a relatively swift invasion. The Ukraine would uh, fall soon, very soon quickly to Russian forces, and that would be the end of it. Um, but that hasn't happened. Now, of course, a great deal of the reason that the Ukraine has not fallen to Russian forces is very simply because they have a very inspiring leader, Volodymyr Zelensky, who has basically said that he will not surrender. Um, the Ukrainian armed forces are doing a superb job of standing up to the Russians. Um, there's a lot of, uh, of course, help from uh, Europe and the NATO countries sending arms and equipment to uh, the Ukraine. There are also volunteer fighters who are coming into the Ukraine, and many Ukrainian citizens are staying behind to defend their homeland. And this, of course, plays a very significant factor in the in the fact that uh, Russia has not been able to conquer the Ukraine as of yet, and it's turned into quite a very long and costly war so far for Russia. But, and this aside, of course, and in no way meaning to, to uh, underestimate or denigrate the Ukrainian armed forces, one of the more interesting aspects of the this war, which has come to light, is that, quite frankly, the Russian armed forces are performing very poorly. And it's uh, become also apparent that a lot of this is due to the simple fact that Russia, quite frankly, has um, its armed forces are not up to the task. Now, um, we can, once again, this is not a history podcast or a military podcast, but it has become clear that much of the Russian equipment is either not working or they have problems with logistics. For example, it's time and time again, television images have shown, images on the net have shown that um, Russian tanks and Russian battle equipment is running out of fuel. They simply don't have the fuel to get to the Ukraine. As a matter of fact, I should say, get into the interior portions of the Ukraine. There are several, um, there are several videos online, which you can see of Ukrainians towing Russian tanks and towing military equipment away in tractors. So um, the question is, what's going on here? Why, how is this that, uh, that Russia, which is a great world power and certainly is well-feared and well-respected for its military, suddenly is showing to the world that its military just doesn't seem to be up to the job. And it's become clear that a lot of this is because of corruption. Um, Russians, certainly the policy of the Russian government over the past 20 years has been stated to modernize its military. Um, and this included uh, modernizing its tanks, modernizing its military equipment, uh, such as transportation, 
modernizing its air fleet and fighter jets, what have you. Instead, um, once again, the equipment that the Russians are using does not seem to be working in many cases. It does not seem to be well-maintained or even maintained at all. And many um, experts are stating that um, much of the money that was supposed to be used for the upgrades and for the modernization of the Russian military has been diverted for um, purposes such as for oligarchs, the very rich people with inside Russia, to build palaces and basically to use for their own personal gain. And this corruption, um, it basically means that the people in the Russian military, people in the Russian government has stolen this money and used it for their own purposes. And as a result, the Russian military is not getting the money it needs to uh, modernize. And we see the results here, where the Russian army is just not prepared for this operation. And of course, there's even been jokes in the Ukrainian press, which have been translated for the other um, for non-Ukrainian speakers, which basically say, thank you, Russia, for your corruption. We really appreciate it. Something to that effect. And um, of course, for the Ukrainians, this is not only a joke, it's very serious, but they are stating that one of the reasons they believe they are winning is because of the endemic corruption, corruption within Russia. Um, some of the other problems the Russians are having, um, Russian soldiers apparently have rations which have expired. Um, it, Napoleon, I believe, made the statement that an army, army marches on its stomach. An army constantly needs to be fed and equipped. Well, apparently the Russian soldiers are not getting the rations they need, and there have been reports of Russians looting the uh, Ukrainian countryside and the Ukrainian homes simply to get food. Um, several companies, um, which were supposed to be using money to upgrade the Russian military, instead has uh, taken this money and used it for personal gain. Um, the quality of housing in the Russian military is apparently awful, and um, many soldiers find that they cannot live on base. There's been accusations that the Russian Minister of Defense, Sergei Shoigu, is a very corrupt individual. Um, once again, these are statements that are made by um, uh, news outlets. Um, for example, uh, Sergei Shoigu reportedly has built a $24 million palace, um, which is used for his own personal gain. And the money, the question, of course, Go asks, where does that money come from? I mean, how can a minister of defense, even the minister of defense in Russia, afford to build such a very, very expensive palace? And um, even certainly in the U.S., our, our generals are paid very well, but not that well. So the question remains, how is it that they're able to do this? And the obvious answer is corruption, where funds are being diverted. Um, Russian soldiers are um, paid very poorly and as a result, most Russians do not want to choose the um, do not want to choose the military as a career. Um, we I mentioned this earlier, but as the Ukrainians um, have captured Russian equipment, it's been clear that the equipment has not been maintained. This includes tanks, motorized transports, um, trucks, that sort of thing. And it goes without saying, if the equipment is not maintained, then it cannot be used. Russia and the Ukraine are notorious for their severely harsh winters. It was such a winter that stopped the Nazi invasion in 1941. It was also such a winter that um, stopped Napoleon's invasion of the Russian Empire in 1812. So now, in these conditions, in these conditions, of course, it's imperative that equipment be maintained and repaired on a consistent basis. Otherwise, it simply will not work. And from the Ukrainians, they're pointing out that the um, equipment is not working, that the equipment is 
at best um, uh, not maintained. And of course, this leads to problems. Um, so let's. I want to move on and talk about uh, an organization called Transparency International. Once again, it's. Um, I would want to talk about Transparency International later at a later podcast. Transparency International is a truly great and unique organization which keeps track of corruption around the world and is, a, as I said, a truly outstanding organization. Um, I was going to talk about this later in the year, but uh, current events have sort of moved this forward. Uh, Transparency International um, has done studies on Russia, and quite frankly, the corruption risk in Russia is very, very high. And so Transparency International, when it publishes its annual reports and when it publishes its updates on its website, always has ranked Russia, excuse me, as a, to have a high corruption risk, especially in its defense sector. And um, we already mentioned the issues involving the Minister of Defense, Sergei Shoigu, who has a $24 million palace. Um, in addition to the um, what appears to be the taking of funds from the defense budget itself for personal gain, Russia also have the situation where um, the entire defense industry is surrounded by secrecy. Now, Russia, of course, is hardly unique in this. Certainly any country, including the United States, surrounds its uh, military with secrecy for obvious reasons. But when you combine these two factors, the corruption and the inability to find out about this corruption because of the secrecy, it's a, it's a recipe for disaster. And um, it's playing out, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you which side you're on, and the fact that Russia does not seem to be able to maintain a, um, a high level of military readiness or a high level of military equipment or preparedness in these situations. Now, of course, for the Ukraine, that is good news for them because they are able to withstand the Russian assault. Um, for the Russians, of course, this is a rather poor situation for them. So in this case, when we're talking about the corruption in Russia, especially when we're talking about the uh, military, this shows how, unfortunately, how um, corruption is really affecting a country's ability to, in this case, not survive. Uh, Russia is in no danger of collapse, but it's undermining their entire system, in this case, their military system. Um, once again, going back to Transparency International, Transparency International has consistently ranked Russia, as I said, for a very um, high risk of corruption, and especially... Um, when it comes to its military, uh, Transparency International ranks Russia as very, very poor in um, its corruption index among its military. In other words, it's a TI, Transparency International, believes and believes based on very pertinent information that the Russian military, the funds of the Russian military are being diverted and not being used for their intended purposes. And once again, this is more or less played out in the invasion of the Ukraine. And by the way, this is not something which is unique to Russia. There is historical precedent for this. For example, in the early 1900s in uh, China, as, the, um, as China at that point under the Qing dynasty was uh, being taken apart by foreign interests, including Russia, by the way, um, there was a drive by the Chinese to upgrade their military. And unfortunately, the uh, dowager empress of the Qing empire decided to use those funds to build herself palaces. And of course... China was taken apart eventually by foreign nations and became a very weak nation. And um, it wasn't until World War II and after World War II when it finally began to rebuild itself. Um, another interesting fact here about the um, what's been pointed up by Transparency International and other organizations. One of the issues with corruption 
um, is that corruption, especially in the military, infects not only the ability of the military to be prepared in terms of military equipment, but also in terms of receiving information. Um, in this case, it's pretty clear that, uh, and once again, not giving away any state secrets, Russia, unfortunately, for the past few years, for all intents and purposes, has been a dictatorship with Vladimir Putin as, let's face it, the president for life. He's uh, changed the constitution so he can run until 2036. Um, elections in Russia are considered to be extremely fraudulent. And once again, that may be the subject of a future podcast. But um, Vladimir Putin has surrounded himself with people who basically um, benefit from this kind of corruption. We mentioned Sergei Shoigu. There are other members of Vladimir Putin's inner circle that benefit from this kind of corruption because, of course, they're the ones stealing the money from the Russian government and from Russian uh, sites. So in this respect, um, Vladimir, Vladimir Putin... Um, hello? Larry? In this case, Vladimir Putin has surrounded himself by um, individuals who uh, are benefiting from this corruption and as a result tell Putin what he wants to hear. So there's a disincentive, actually, if you're a member of this network, you're getting these funds from, um, corrupt, from a corrupt system. There's a disincentive to tell Putin anything other than what he wants to hear because obviously these people are benefiting directly from this corruption. So this creates a sort of a closed loop where... Um, the Russian military, people in the Russian military may not be able, may not be telling the um, people who need to make decisions what they need to hear. Uh, this is played out once again in the um, in the Russian government, as uh, we see. There's been some speculation that Putin believed that the Ukrainians would be an easy pushover. He did not expect that there would be such a. He did not expect that there would be such a um, uh, a. Um, fierce resistance by the Ukrainians. And this may have been the fact, and once again, this is speculation here, I'm not trying to state this as fact, but this may have been that Putin was getting um, information from uh, leaders within his own circle who are a member of the, and benefiting from this kind of corrupt government who don't want to tell Putin um, something he does not want to hear. So even if people underneath these high-ranking individuals, these high-ranking military people are receiving good information, they may not be giving this information to Vladimir Putin. And as a result, what's happening is Putin is living in this closed loop where he is not getting the information he needs to make a rational decision regarding military matters. So here we see two main issues with how corruption can really destroy, really worm away at the insides of a country. The first is the, in the case of the Russian military, the technical reasons. The military is not getting the equipment they need and the equipment they have is not being either upgraded or maintained. So the military simply cannot do its job. If the equipment is not maintained, especially in harsh situations such as the Ukraine and Russia, then obviously the equipment can't work and there are significant problems. Um, for the military itself. If the military does not have equipment, it cannot move forward, it cannot do its job, and therefore um, the whole thing falls apart. The second part of this is that the people involved in the corruption networks, in this case high-ranking members of Vladimir Putin's inner circle or high-ranking military members, are benefiting from this corruption, so they may not want to tell Putin what is going on, even if they're receiving good information from people underneath them. 
So these two, I guess, body blows, you might say, are really affecting the ability of Russia to have maintain its goal, in this case of trying to invade the Ukraine. They don't have the equipment for it. And the decisions that are being made um, by either Putin or his higher level officials are being made based on false information or incorrect information. And that's really one of the dangers of this sort of thing when, um, when corruption really does affect a country like this. It really worms the, away from the inside because um, the, per, the information is not uh, getting to the people who need to make the information. Or if the information is getting there, they're not, they're not interested in hearing it. And the equipment, which is so necessary in modern warfare, is not is not there for the for warfare to be maintained. Now, once again, of course, I, I need to state the obvious here. Um, I'm certainly not in any way favoring Russian Russians' intervention in the Ukraine. It's an invasion, pure and simple, and um, it, it's it, it's a horrible event that's occurring in the 21st century. We thought we were all past this, especially in Europe. So I. Um, I'm no way condoning Russians, Russia's actions here against the Ukraine. Um, and once again, as the Ukrainians are saying, they're quite grateful for this kind of uh, corruption in Russia because it's, it's clearly bringing to light the problems Russia is having. And it's also a factor in the Ukrainians meaning being able to hold their own and in some cases defeat the Russians. However, the purpose of this podcast is to talk about corruption, to talk about white collar crime, to talk about fraud. And... Unfortunately, before us right now, we have a living, breathing example of corruption which has occurred, corruption which is occurring in a nation state like Russia, which is affecting the country from top to bottom. Um, once again, for the Ukrainians, of course, this is a very good thing as Russia finds itself unable to obtain to reach its stated goals, and in this case, trying to invade the Ukraine. The reason I bring this podcast forward at this point in time is because often... When we look at white-collar crime and we look at fraud, and of course corruption is a part of fraud, corruption has um, is been with us since the dawn of time, unfortunately. When we have this kind of corruption, entire nation-states can suffer. And that was at, going back in history, that was one of the reasons the Soviet Union fell apart was because of the corruption within the, um, within the Soviet system itself. It caused um, unmitigated, unmitigated disaster in running the government. Um, and a lot of times we tend to forget that although corruption affects individuals, of course, of course, fraud affects individuals. Um, and, uh, that's one of the purposes of this podcast. It also can affect entire nations. It also can affect a nation's ability to survive as a nation. Um, in this case, it's a good thing in the sense that Russia cannot obtain its goal, achieve its goals of trying to invade a country like the Ukraine. And it's a stark reminder of just how important anti-corruption um, efforts can be. It's not just a question sometimes that people are losing money or people are losing investments. It's also a question that an entire nation cannot function because uh, money is being diverted from the funds it is for which it's supposed to be used for. And uh, that's one of the purposes of organizations like Transparency International to try to, um, to, try to shed some light on these. Um, there is one more thing I'd like to dis to um, to discuss regarding the corruption that's in the Russian system and um, how it can affect the world around them. One of the issues that one of the things we see as the invasion of the Ukraine began and as it continues, that countries around the world are beginning to, in some cases not even beginning, they actually have seized the assets of Russian oligarchs. Um, there are many of 
Russian of uh, Putin's buddies have very, very expensive yachts. In some cases, seem like small naval vessels. And these yachts are being seized um, by nations such as the United States, by um, nations, certain European countries. And although it's uncertain as to what will happen to them, it's not. Um, it's, it could happen that these yachts will be sold or taken apart and the proceeds used um, to help the Ukrainians. That's one possible um, one possible outcome of all this. Also, we see where um, the homes of uh, certain Russian individuals, Russian oligarchs who have homes, or I should say vacation homes overseas in uh, Europe, in the United States, some of these properties are being seized as well. And um, there was actually a, a very famous, I shouldn't say famous, but there was a, jo there was a joke on where, I don't even joke, there was a Russian TV commentator who was upset that his homes were being seized in Italy. Um, I'm sure the Ukrainians thought that was pretty funny. Also, we have examples of where Roman Abramovich, one of the uh, richest men in the world and one of the Russian oligarchs, uh, he bought one of the um, soccer teams in the UK. And I apologize, I don't follow soccer, so I don't know which team it was. But now he's forbidden from basically selling the team. And I'm not sure of the legal status of the team. It might be in um, some sort of, for lack of a better term, trust with the British government. But... Um, the point I'm trying to make is that the uh, wealth of the oligarchs, which uh, many times is based on uh, the corruption endemic in Russian society, especially under Putin, have found that the assets that they bought with uh, funds from corruption are being seized by third countries. And there's a whole laundry list of, of legal arguments that can be brought forward um, regarding these seizures, whether they're lawful, whether they're unlawful. And of course, that's possibly fodder for another podcast. But what is important here is to show that even in corrupt systems, the people doing the corruption are not immune from having the, uh, the law come down on them. Um, I seriously doubt that uh, Russian oligarchs are losing any sleep over the fact that some of their yachts are being seized or some of their properties on the French Riviera or in Monaco or in New York are being seized. But it's still an indication that um, money that's being that money that was used or money that was um, received from corruption from illegal activities can be seized overseas, and um, just because you earn these monies from a corrupt system like the corrupt system in Russia does not mean that you will be able to keep these monies. And this brings forth a whole, as I said, a whole list of very very interesting internet arguments about international law and property seizures, which, as I mentioned, is uh, for another podcast. Um, and certainly there are many, many um, precedents for this kind of uh, behavior as well, for this kind of legal action. For example, um, a good example is uh, the when um, the Nazis invaded Europe in the 1940s and stole many, much art and much many belongings from uh, from Jews, um, some of this art was managed to be repatriated to the families that actually owned the art to begin with. Um, reparations were made to families that suffered um, from these property seizures. And um, in the past as well, there's been instances where property has been seized from uh, dictators or dictators' families that purchased um, property or purchased items in Western or countries with a very strong legal code. And later that property was forfeited and returned to uh, the either the owners of the property or was returned to um, the countries themselves. So um, I guess it's time to close up this uh, podcast regarding the issues and of corruption in the Russian military. 
as I said, we, there are two main issues that the Russian military faces. First of all, they have equipment that does not work, uh, equipment that has never been provided. Um, apparently, the equipment was not updated, so the Russian army is going into, into war with outdated and some, in some cases useless equipment. And of course, this has cost them greatly in terms of the ability to invade the Ukraine and also in terms of, unfortunately, a loss of life um, by Russians themselves. There's also the issue where this kind of corruption affects the leadership because those involved in this kind of corruption generally want it to continue. And so they will not tell the people that need to hear um, what's going on, exactly what's going on. In this case, it's been speculated that the high-level officials in the Putin government that are benefiting from this corruption are not telling Putin what he needs to hear. And as a result, Putin is making decisions based on false or incorrect information. And this is a really good way to sum up just how corruption can really destroy a country. It can destroy it not only because it, it affects its ability to, in this case, make war. Um, in this case, Russia is fighting an offensive and, quite frankly, uncalled for war. But even if, if it was a defensive war, this would mean that the survival of Russia could be at stake. And, of course, the people involved in this corruption are not telling the people what they the, the the people in charge what they need to hear and as a result without this information poor decisions are being made so um i guess we'll be ending this podcast here and once again it's worth repeating i strongly condemn russian the invasion of the ukraine by russia there's absolutely no call for it and um, hopefully this will be resolved where um, russia will leave and the ukraine will have its uh, country back and um it's, as I said, I never thought I would see this sort of thing in Europe in the 21st century. It's very tragic how history tends to repeat itself. So um, to all my listeners, I wish you all the best. Um, to my listeners in the Ukraine, I do have a few Ukrainians. Slava Ukrainias, Slava Goroyam. I wish you all the best. Goodbye.